You are Locked On 49ers, your daily San Francisco 49ers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On 49ers, Brian Peacock and Eric Crocker with you at BD Peacock on Twitter. At Eric underscore Crocker. This episode brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Uh, We're going to get into the offensive coordinator press conference. Mike McDaniel, our takeaways from Mike McDaniel's first chat with reporters. We got to hear from D'Amico Ryans earlier last week for the first time, and now we get to hear from Mike McDaniel, the new coordinators, offensive and defense, respectively, for the 49ers. Our takeaways from that conversation, uh, Shanahan versus McVay, I think. Croc, you have some thoughts on this one, too. This was a big hot topic on Twitter uh, over the course of the last week or so. A lot of arguments happening there, and the 49ers have waived. Man, it's a brutal business. The NFL have waived with an injury designation. Offensive lineman Justin School, less than a week after he tore his ACL and have signed uh, another offensive lineman to take his place. So those are the things we will get into on today's program. Man, it's kind of a bummer the way the NFL goes sometimes. We talk a lot about the team and what's going on with all these injuries, but lost in it is the human aspect of it. Justin School fighting for a spot in the roster, fighting for you know a job in the NFL after being a six-round pick a couple of years ago and is getting first-team reps with Trent Williams out at left tackle. Then in OTAs, tears his ACL. So his season's over. Then less than a week later, he gets the news that he's going to be completely waived with an injury designation no longer on the 49ers roster that might be the end of it that might be the last we see of Justin School with the 49ers now if he passes through waivers he can come back to the team and they can place him on IR but due to rules and guys on injury in, uh on rookie contracts and and offseason rules you can't just throw him straight on IR so that's the situation here it's a little bit different but somewhat similar also to what we saw last year with DJ Reed so we will see and obviously all the jokes on Twitter are that Justin School will get claimed by the Seattle Seahawks Although, unlike DJ Reed, even if he is claimed by, say, the Seahawks, he's out this year. He's not going to come back from his ACL and play this season with DJ Reed. The team knew, yeah, probably late in the season he could come back from his torn pec, maybe in December. And he actually ended up being ready to play earlier in the season in October for the Seahawks and had a really good year. And especially when he played against the 49ers. But just the the reality of it, that's the tough part for Justin School now waived in, in his career in limbo. That's a bummer. I think the biggest thing that, you know, I learned even playing in the NFL, you know, my short time there was it's it's a business and heads are going to roll and they're just going to figure out different ways to kind of manipulate the salary cap, manipulate the roster, the, you know, the final 53, whatever they can do to kind of get some type of slight edge. They will do, even if it means you're the guy that ends up being on the outside looking in. So you look at Justin School in this situation, you know, one thing I, you know, he's had plenty of opportunities to really make it to where he, these type of things don't happen to him in the sense of him getting cut when something like this happens. Like he's played, he had to start for an extended period of time, especially in 2019 when both McGlinchey and Joe Staley went out, you know, last year there were times where he had to come in. So, you know, when I look at him, I can't feel too bad because I understand the business of the NFL. And I understand if they were willing to kind of wave him, they probably like him and they do want him back. I'm sure. But if he had played better, he would have never got waved. Yeah, it's crazy. And like for you, so someone who was on a roster bubble, someone who's on the big 90 man roster in a training camp, Croc, what if it was the guy who got hurt was at 
the position you play? What if it was one of the corners that got hurt, so you got a chance to elevate and stick around in camp? Maybe you have this super long career. You know, like that's how narrow and how razor thin this stuff is. Instead, it was a player at another position, what is a running back, right? They got hurt and they needed another running back, so they waived you to go sign the running back. Yeah, um, well, there were two running backs that went down, Chris Ivory and Joe McKnight. And after, you know, both guys, they were going to a game, the next game, and it was like, hey, we have to be able to sign running backs to go into this game so we have enough healthy bodies there, but we can't place those guys on the IR, so we have to release a guy from another position where we have more depth just so we can go into this game a little bit healthier at a position. And I end up being the odd man out in that situation. And it's tough, and you understand those things when you're going through it, it's just the, it's, it's the nature of the game. It's the business. And during the process, you see guys getting cut left and right. I saw some guys get cut. I remember some guys being signed, like, t- to head into training camp. And then before training camp, they already got released. Yeah. Like, they didn't even get an opportunity to step on the field. So I saw a lot of that going on and in the back of your head and you're at the bottom. You're like, I know my day is coming one of these times. And, you know, when it does happen, you just know it's part of the business. And there's a ton of training camp competition now on the offensive line, especially for that swing tackle role that it sounds like Justin School was competing for, or at least maybe even leading that because he was obviously the the first man up there to be playing left tackle with Trent Williams out. So they needed to replace Justin School's spot on the roster. They did sign Senio Kelamete, a veteran offensive lineman, more of an interior player, a guard, than a tackle. But uh, I, I think we should get into the Mike McDaniel stuff with this, and then we'll get a little bit deeper into it in a minute. But uh, one of the notes here, just to finish up the talk with the offensive line, was that Mike McDaniel said that training camp will settle who the swing tackle will be. And it's a straight-up open competition and that you know there are some competing names there, but he doesn't know. and He couldn't really answer the question. He said that's what training camp's for. We'll find out after training camp who that swing tackle is going to be. And he named Colton McKivitz, the second-year player out of West Virginia, uh, rookie Jalen Moore, Sean Coleman, who's been around for a while, and Daniel Brunskill. So those were sort of the four names he mentioned there. And the name that stands out to me, and the name that I don't understand why he wasn't already in that role because of how well he's played at tackle when Joe Staley was hurt a couple years ago was Daniel Brunskill. And they don't need him to start at those other positions anymore. I think it's too valuable to have him at the swing tackle spot. And he could jump in and, and still back up center or back up guard, but he was better playing tackle than any of those other positions, and that position is too important not to have your best backups there, especially now that Brunskill's most likely a backup, unless he needs to win the right guard uh, spot. And if, if he beats out Aaron Banks there, if Aaron Banks gets hurt, you know you could probably plug him in back at guard easier than you can plug him in at tackle if he's not getting those reps in camp. So to me, it's easy, and it's Daniel Brunskill. I don't know. I don't know what you think about that, Croc. Yeah, and I was thinking maybe my opinion of Daniel Brunskill is just a little too high. He's been a guy I thought when he came in, at, if you remember originally when both the guys went down, I want to say school came in first and then Brunskill when mm-hmm. the other tackle went down. Brunskill played very, very well at tackle. He played better very well. Better than school. Like, and clearly better than school. Clearly better, right? But do you, if you remember, you kind of go back to that year, one of the tackles came back, and I want to say maybe it was the right tackle that was still out, McGlinchey maybe, and school was playing – Still, but then remember against the Packers, school was playing so bad, they had to go back to Brunskill School and put yeah. Brunskill School in. And then he ended up playing well until the 49ers were, you know, eventually healthy at the tackle spot. So he's been like the guy that's been doing well there. But for whatever reason, 
and they are smarter at these things than I am. They look at him more as a guard or interior, interior offensive line. But when he was at tackle, I'm like, hey, is he better than even like a Mike McGlinchey? Where I know the, the backup is always the more popular person, you know, and it's like always thinking that you can get more out of the backup. And maybe it's one of those situations. But I thought he was somebody that always played well at tackle. And it's interesting to hear him not be that guy right now as the, you know, starting off as a swing tackle. And there's too many. There's too many. Play. First of all, you drafted Aaron Banks, and now you have uh, Mac at center. So you would hope that you don't need Daniel Brunskill to start anywhere. And I think you're wasting his talent if you have him backup center or backup guard when you have Colton McKivitz and you have Jalen Moore, who's probably you know should probably be more of a left guard project than anything else. I'm not sure if you'd be able to stick a tackle in the NFL there. So I don't know. That's the way I look at it going into camp. But obviously, those things will play out in camp in the preseason. So. Um, we'll see how that goes. And look, it was already going to be dicey if Trent Williams went down and Justin School's the guy who jumped in there because uh, we've seen, you know, I mean, and and I don't think it was a guarantee that Justin School was going to make the roster, but at least we know from those reps in OTAs that he was the first man up. So they, they, yeah. they at least we're going to give him an opportunity. And so he very well could have been that guy. But um, uh, who knows? May, maybe it won't end up hurting the 49ers all that much, but depth now an issue. And you hope that some of these backup offensive linemen can prove in camp that they're ballers and they can be counted on to start some games if they need to at uh, any number of the five offensive line positions. All right, let's get to Mike McDaniel next. Our takeaways from our first conversation with the offensive coordinator, what we learned about him, what we learned about the 49ers, and then Mike, and then Kyle Shanahan versus Sean McVay, which is a hot topic right now. We'll get to that as well. Coming up. Bet online is the fastest, easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season in full swing. You can track all of that all summer long. So many games to bet on. Putting together some parlays I like to do with baseball games. Uh, makes for a fun evening of ball. You get a, an early game, a late game, maybe a, an over-under in there somewhere. There's uh, UFC, MMA action, obviously, NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, some goofy celebrity boxing matches <laughs> of course you can get on that action as well so before the next pitch head over to bet online use your laptop mobile device whatever you want to check out all the great sporting news and sign up bonuses with contest information don't sit on the sidelines anymore head over to betonline.ag get a 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit with promo code locked on that's promo code locked on bet online your online sportsbook experts all right croc any major takeaways from the mike mcdaniel press conference there i i see some people out there that were kind of killing him a little bit uh he seemed like maybe he's just a little bit nervous his first time with reporters as the oc in his new position but look if you went back to my first podcast i ever did at san francisco state i was like a stuttering mess so like i'm, I'm never gonna say anything about that but uh, he's clearly a smart guy and, and he had some inter interesting information to uh to give out to reporters there you know i yeah I know exactly what they're talking about. He comes off a bit of a kind of nerdy a little yeah. bit. Oh, yeah. And and that that might just be him, like like with his kind of like awkward delivery, a bit of that kind of like nerdy introvert thing that he has kind of going on. Right. Um, but, you know, everybody's not going to be as confident sounding as Kyle Shanahan, who's been talking in front of, you know, the media going back to like 2006 or whatever, you know, when he first started being the officer coordinator. Maybe it was like 2008 with Houston. But – 
you know, with McDaniel, I, I, I think the thing that came away or, or some of the things that came away like clear to me is how much of the process of just the entire offense is on everybody as a collective group and how much Kyle trusts his people around him to give him really quality input. And he really takes their input into consideration. And it sounds like he does that in all aspects of his game. We, we heard about that during the draft process where he kind of wanted to hear everybody's evaluation on the quarterbacks and how they broke them down and without knowing his input. And it sounds like, you know, just how they kind of go about the whole offensive thing is, is that of the same, you know, they and he Kyle does a really good job of making everyone feel valued and important in the process of putting together the offense. I like that. That stood out to me, and it's something I definitely didn't know about Kyle Shanahan. And it doesn't seem that Kyle Shanahan is that way. It doesn't seem like he's the most collaborative guy, really. So that was interesting to hear him say one thing that people don't know that they should know about Kyle Shanahan, at least from the coaching side of things, is that he is a very collaborative coach and he wants things to be done well. And so the more input he can get to make sure that things are done well, then uh, the better for the team. So I did think that was interesting. Um, he also said play calling duties will remain fully with Kyle. And it's the best thing that it's the thing that Kyle Shanahan does. And it's the reason why Kyle Shanahan is one of the better coaches in the NFL is because of his play calling abilities and that there is zero plan for Mike McDaniel to call plays ever. There's like not a plan in place for that to happen, even for just a few plays here and there. I thought that was interesting too, because he, he basically made it seem like, Nope, never calling plays. It's Kyle period. That's what Kyle does. And uh, I, I'm never going to do that here. What it sounded like to me is that's just not in the cards for right now. Maybe eventually down the line that is something that will happen. You know, he's, he seems very confident in the fact that, hey, Kyle Shanahan is great at what he does, and we're going to allow him to, con to continue to be that, and I'll be a voice, you know, kind of in the background, you know, with, with that whole thing. It kind of really reminded me, and also maybe Kyle Shanahan taking some of the pressure off of McDaniels and letting him kind of grow into more yeah. of an offensive coordinator type position to be able to, you know, call plays and things like that, where now it's like, look, I'll take the pressure off of you for now. Don't worry about that. Let's just, you know, okay, now let's, st I'll start working with you on how to formulate the game plan and stuff like that. You've been involved in the process, but now, like he said, he has more input on the process. And I bet that that role will continue to grow until he is the one eventually that's calling plays. You know, it kind of reminded me of Jimmy Garoppolo's our, our starting quarterback and Trey Lance is not even, competing is not a competition until he's ready to be able to compete. And I think this was mm -hmm. that of the same. I'm taking the pressure off of the up and coming guy, letting this guy do his thing. And, you know, and when McDaniel is ready to compete or, you know, in this case, be the uh, play caller, he'll, he'll start to probably integrate him into that role. And I, I kind of like that. I like that way of doing things where it's like, what's the rush? What's the rush to make him, to have him call plays right now? Especially we have a guy who's better at it already, you know. <laughs> so, uh, and I'm sure, right. I'm sure, Mike McDaniel and Mike Lafleur as well were, were hugely involved with game planning as it is. So I'm sure that part won't be much different. And a lot of the play calls are kind of predetermined, right? So you work on all these things all week long. You know 
what your group of plays, you know what your script is going to be to start a game, you or maybe even start a half if you have another script for that. You know what your situational plays are. You know what you're trying to do. So a lot of times you have a really good idea, even if you're not calling the plays, they might be calling them themselves. Like the plays are calling themselves because you kind of have this thing set out and the game plan all week long put you in all of this. And it's like, we know what our group of plays we want to go to in short yardage are. We know what our group of third down and long plays are. We know what our you know red zone plays are. We know what our situational plays are here and there. So in a lot of ways, I think so much of that work is done beforehand that play calling becomes not secondary, but you you know it's not like you're just making up plays in the middle of a game. You're like, I'm going to call this out of nowhere. You know, it's on the sheet already. You know, you know what your situational plays are going to be beforehand. You know, another thing that kind of stood out to me about you know the whole that whole press conference was, and there's a few things I have written down, but the draft process, right? This was something that I kind of took from there. And maybe other people didn't really care too much about this, but I think it was KP from Niners Nation that asked a question about the offensive alignment. And, you know, they drafted Brooks in the second round and he's a bigger guy. And most people take the big office alignment off of the 49ers board because like, well, no, they like these smaller guys that can move in space and things like that. And one, and what I took away from what they said, and I think this should be the case for all positions is they value the skill set more than the actual size. And I think if you look at the 49ers receivers, you see these 5'11", 6-foot guys, and you're thinking like, well, like, you know, they, 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 that's the type of receiver they want, the, this, the, the quick in and out of his breaks. But what they're saying and what McDaniel said was, hey, if we can find somebody that's 6'10", 400 pounds, but he meets all of our requirements from a movement skill standpoint, we don't care how big he is. Look at, look at Jalen Hurd. Everybody looks at Jalen Hurd. He's 6'5", 230 pounds. But when you watch Jalen Hurd, the way he can move in space, the way he can run routes, the way he has fluid hips, his change of direction is really quick. He d- moves like the smaller guy. He, he moved, just does it he, in yeah, a jumbo he moved size. more like Trent Taylor than Calvin Johnson, even right. though he was Calvin right. Johnson's size. Right. And, and so that was one thing I, that popped, and I just start thinking back on guys that they've drafted, and it's they're looking for a specific skill set, not so much – in exact size. And I've been one when I, when I do like mock drafts of the 49ers, if I see somebody that's six, four or six, five, 350 pounds, I'm like, Oh no, Niners will never draft him. Yeah. Not- now I understand they, they, they will, if he moves like the guys that are smaller. And here's what I, I, I would push back a little bit on that with banks because I don't think he moves all that great, even though he's moves well enough, even though he's really big. And I think he's good at, doing his assignments and getting where he needs to be. But I don't think it's like, I don't think it's, it correlates like the, uh, the Jalen Hurd thing because Hurd was really good in short areas and has this explosiveness in a short area, like a running back, like he was a former running back. I don't think Aaron Banks has that, you know, just, I don't think he's big, but also has that, uh, those elite movement skills that they're looking for. I don't think he's going to get out and move like some of the other interior offensive linemen they have before. I think he moves well enough. I think he's a really safe player because he's he's solid, but I don't think he's, you know, I think maybe pro- if I had to grade him athletically, I would say he probably meets the minimums for that, for what they're looking for. I think that's a good way to put it. It's not like he's a complete plotter and heavy-footed and isn't going to be able to to play and and play within that scheme. I would say he just meets the minimums, but it's not like a guy where, like Jalen Hurd is like, okay, this guy is explosive and can really move in a short area, especially for a big guy. I would say Aaron Banks is more like, okay, he moves well enough. If he gets slower, maybe there will be a problem. 
Right, and, and that's something I can see. But hey, and we always talked about the, you know, uh, evolving, right? Mm-hmm. Even with your, uh, how you're viewing these prospects, you know, oh, uh, Trey Lance isn't a Kyle Shanahan style quarterback, you know, those type of things. Maybe he has involved evolved into someone that likes that style of quarterback, obviously, right? Look at the offensive line. Maybe he's looking at Mike McGlinchey, who is everything that they want in space, but gets pushed back into the quarterback's yeah. lap a lot yes. and falls on the ground and kind of gets bullied. And it's like, you know what? We, we okay, I know we value this high in athleticism. Let's scale back a little bit and kind of sacrifice maybe a little bit of athleticism for somebody that might be just a little bit more stout in his ability to stand up guys at the line of scrimmage, and maybe they went towards that way. Yeah, like it's who cares if you can go block a linebacker on the second level if you can't block the guy in front of you on the line of scrimmage. You still got to be able to do that first. Right. <laughs> By the way, did you see that Aaron Banks – chose number 65 i just saw visions of joshua garnett flash in front of my eyes and i tweeted it out I people were mad tweet. at me they're like don't I, put that on him and i was like i'm, I'm joking but also yeah, you, you, know. you gotta stop you gotta stop posting it because you, you're too negative on the podcast <laughs> i know people get mad like it's hard to put a joke it's part, hard to put sort of like sarcasm out there on twitter because people take it at face value and they see that and they think i'm crushing aaron banks crushing the 49ers saying aaron banks is going to be the the next Joshua Garnett and mostly I was joking but there's a little bit to it that's what's funny is like there's just enough of a nugget of truth for you it was the Mac Jones thing remember there was enough of a, enough of a, mu- a nugget of truth to believe that Kyle Shanahan would trade up to number three for Mac Jones to make it believable and I think that's why some people got mad at me because I made that joke about yeah. um, Aaron Banks wearing number 65 and he's the next Joshua Garnett even though I didn't mean it I do not think Aaron Banks is the next Joshua Garnett all right there, there were also some things from McDaniel to take away from like his comments on Trey Lance and oh, you know what? Hold on. I think that's going to take too long. Let's get to that in one second. Uh, McDaniel's comments on Trey Lance, some of the rookies, getting them ready for camp, and Muhammad Sanu and the wide receiver situation. And hopefully, we'll have some time to get into Shanahan versus McVay as well next. Do you want 15% off your next order at builtbar.com? Well, listen up and I'll tell you how you can get a tasty treat, a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Right now, I'm staring at a box of Built Bars that I built myself. You can mix and match three flavors. I love the peanut butter. I also wanted to try some other flavors, so I went with toffee almond and one of the six new flavors, cookies and cream. 130 calories in the cookies and cream flavor. 17 grams of protein, only 4 grams of sugar. It is fantastic. Other new flavors like caramel brownie, cherry barcia, Lemon Almond Cheesecake, Carrot Cake, Apple Almond Crisp to go with their 12 original flavors. My favorite is peanut butter that I always talk about. Bars are covered in, this is the best part, 100% chocolate, not a brown colored flavored chocolate weird coating. It's legit chocolate. So get some yourself at 15% off with promo code LOCKED15. That's LOCKED15 for 15% off your next box of Built Bars at BuiltBar.com. One reason to repair and maintain your car yourself is to save money, and then you can use that for other important things like the mortgage or food or whatever it is you want to spend your money on rather than going to some super expensive repair shop because you didn't take care of the things you could do on your own. Why would you choose to spend, say, 30, 50, 100% more for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or a new car dealership? The guy's behind the counter on his computer. You can't see the screen. You don't know what's on that screen. 
they might have a very limited stock of items to select from. That is not the case at rockauto.com. An unbelievable selection of any parts you could imagine for your car or truck at rockauto.com. For example, a Delphi fuel pump assembly for a 2005 to 2010 Honda Odyssey. Yeah, they got it. It's about $150 cheaper at rockauto.com than a big chain store. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. So when it comes to Trey Lance, I, I, I love this. It, and it was very similar to what Kyle Shanahan said in his press conference after OTAs when McDaniel was asked if he's planning different ways to utilize Trey Lance, and, and McDaniel said, well, yeah, obviously it's hard to not think about those things and get excited about the ways you could use somebody who's that gifted physically. But he's like, really? We're just trying to get these dudes ready to be able to compete in training camp. I mean, they can't, they're can't; they not even ready to compete when you come in as a rookie. The rookies are learning a foreign language, and you're just trying to build a foundation of what they can expect and how to work. And so you can get them to a level where they even can start to compete in training camp. Well, I think everybody, when they think of Trey Lance, is like all these different ways you can utilize him in the run game, right? And you can do this with him and do that with him. And what McDaniels came out and said basically was like, look, we want to teach him how to be an NFL quarterback. <laughs> like, you know, mm -hmm. and we want to teach him, hey, these are the things that we're expecting. And they, they're not training him as someone that is just this dual threat style quarterback. They, hey, we're going to work with you the same way that we would work with Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, on just the offense and what we're seeing and things like that. And down the line, and he talked about how, like, look, it is hard to not think about those things. But down the line, yeah, we'll start to incorporate those read options and things like that. But you are a quarterback first, so we want to train you on your fundamentals. We want to work with you on just exactly what we expect from the quarterback position, and then we'll add on and build onto that later down the line. That was something that I was really excited to hear because a lot of people are looking at Trey Lance, dual threat, do this, do that, do that. And it's like, hold on. Let's train them to be a quarterback. We know we have the other stuff in our back pocket with them. And the other thing that's difficult is this is a rookie who is learning a, a foreign language who has to learn a ton of the playbook. You're talking about even more plays that he would have to learn. So he'd have to, he has to learn the Garoppolo playbook and he has to learn the Trey Lance running playbook if they're going to add those plays to it. So that's a ton to learn for a rookie. So when you, when you say that he's a dual threat guy and there's all this extra he can do, absolutely, but that's more you have to learn as well. That's more different play calls, more concepts that everyone has to learn and grow together. So, you know, this is a long-term process. This isn't like you show up at camp and just because you're fast with a strong arm, you're immediately the best quarterback. Right. Now, he might have the best ability, mm -hmm. but again, we got to get him on some level of being able to compete for a starting job if that's where he's at. And again, I mean, they, he kind of alluded to coming back from training camp and seeing where guys are. Kyle Shanahan touched on that as well. So you kind of get a you know, chance to see kind of where their mind is with all of these things. But right now, it's we have to train him and coach him up to be a quarterback <laughs> and forget all mm -hmm. this other stuff and all that that you guys – this is what goes into being a quarterback for the 49ers. We know Garoppolo can do a lot of these things. Got to get Trey Lance on that same page before we can even start to add all these other things that Trey Lance probably does well and better than Jimmy Garoppolo. And, you know, it's, it's a high degree of difficulty, I think, for the coaching staff this year, too, because they are almost doing two separate things at one time. Because the thing that you need to do for Trey Lance, for the good of him as a player, for the good of your career as a coach and your longevity of sticking around and having this job for a while and 
the good of the organization overall, you've got to develop this young rookie quarterback. That's one path the 49ers are currently on. And then you also have to win games now, which is sort of the Garoppolo path. And it's two different things, two different ideas. If Garoppolo wasn't here and you were a bad team and you had a 3-13 and roster and you didn't expect to go be able to go to a Super Bowl this year, you could just go, look, the only thing we're doing here is developing this young quarterback and it's all about him and, and we're going to roll with it and he's probably going to play a lot this year. But this team is... Are, they're expecting to be able to go to a Super Bowl. So they have to be able to develop this young quarterback while simultaneously getting the team as ready as possible each week to win now currently, which probably, at least for the foreseeable future, and we'll see how long that goes, we'll see how quickly the development part comes for Trey Lance, but it's probably the Jimmy Garoppolo path. So they're kind of doing two things simultaneously, so that's difficult. And I wonder how, I wonder if there's different coaches that are sort of, um, like, do, do they have a coach that's really more focused on Lance and his development every day? You know, uh, it would seem like a really smart way to do things is like have this extra coach, whether it's the quarterback's coach or whatever, where, you know, you're coaching everybody the same. But there's one guy who's got a little extra focus on Lance and is trying to help him through the growing pains of a rookie because that's a that's an extra step that this coaching staff has to go through this year. Well, it sounds like McDaniels was basically saying that with Trey Lance's, it is all hands on deck thing. And one great thing about what Kyle Shanahan has done from the, you know, the culture of his coaching staff is they all think the same. So whether it's Kyle Shanahan talking to him or whether it's McDaniels or Scangarillo or whoever it is that's working with their mind and the, the way that they are going to, you know, give this information to the young quarterback, it's all the same. So it sounds like maybe it can be a bunch of different guys at different points or, you know, this guy saw this or this guy sees that, but they're all speaking the same language. So essentially for Trey Lance, it's one person, if that makes sense. Right. No, that makes sense. And also you would have to imagine at this point, Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan are like a married couple. He's worked under Shanahan for 14 years. You mentioned his first job with the Texans, 2006 or whatever. Mike McDaniel's been there with him on almost all of his staffs the entire time. He was with him in Atlanta. He was with him in uh, Cleveland and Washington or wherever. He's been, uh, he's been around. So Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan probably have very similar minds at this point that have become, you know, uh, they probably could finish each other's sentences in some cases when it comes to coaching right. and really understanding and having a one mindset about how to how to do things and how to get ready for a week, how to get ready for practice and, and how they do things. So that's one thing that's probably good is you have two guys who work together for so long, they have to have a really good idea of each other and probably very similar at their approach at this point. Yeah, and you know, I think you touched on one thing as well, you know, kind of Working with the young guy as well as getting, you know, the veteran, you know, ready and to go and everything. And obviously the 49ers aren't forced into a situation where they have to play young guy. But there have been a couple, you know, circumstances or situations, probably more than that. But kind of in my recent memory bank, two guys where they ended up starting week one. They weren't the guy heading into training camp. But eventually they kind of just built on what they did and put a team around them that worked very well. And can you, do you think you can guess who these two guys are that are on my mind? Oh, let's see. They were drafted. They were not high draft picks, but they were drafted to be behind a veteran quarterback, and both guys ended up starting week one. Let's see. There was – well, there was J.T. O'Sullivan back in the day. Not, not, we're not going back that far. Are you talking about just Kyle Shanahan era? No, yeah, well, yeah, we'll just say in the last 10 years. Oh, last 10 years or so, okay. Um, oh, my gosh. All right, I'll, I'll, oh, give you, uh, I'll give you... Sean Hill? 
Sean Hill? That's kind of a while nope. ago too. He's so the fir the first guy is Russell Wilson. Remember they, they signed Matt Flynn. There was no oh, pressure on Russell Wilson. I thought you were talking 49ers. I thought you were talking 49ers. Oh my oh, bad. Yeah, yeah no, no, not yeah. The Russell Wilson, the Russell Wilson one was uh was out of nowhere. Yeah, it was like we drafted right. this third round rookie, spent a bunch of money on Matt Flynn, who had this crazy season when Aaron Rodgers was hurt, and he didn't start a single game. <laughs> That's crazy. right. Didn't start thinking right, but like it was like the way to kind of bring him along and get him to kind of you know figure out okay, well he can do this, we can do that. You know what? We can actually expand on what we're doing. He's sharp. He listens and makes the throws and things like that. Does all these things extremely well. Boom. Starting week one, there was another guy. I'd say in the last five, six years, last five years. Ooh, hold on. Let me think. About had a veteran quarterback second. ahead of him, and an established veteran quarterback, but he ended up essentially having the job and then being able to hold on to it throughout the year and led this team to the playoffs mm. with a first round bye. Wow. Gosh, I'm trying to think of rookie quarterbacks that went to the playoffs. Like Ben Roethlisberger is the only one that's come to mind. I can't think of who this would be. Who is it? Dak Prescott. Oh, Remember Tony Dak, Romo hurt his back course. in the preseason. Yeah. Dak Prescott came in and Dak Prescott – he, um, they kind of just did things that worked for him. Okay, we're going to do this with you and do these things. And they kind of uh, leaned on the run game and the defense played well. And, you know, they didn't ask a ton of him, but still that offense was explosive and they did some really good things down the field with, you know, uh, Des Bryant. And obviously, you know, they had a, a league leading rusher and Ezekiel Elliott, yeah. but just in the style of uh, which they played while having two totally different stylistic quarterbacks, right? Like having Dak Prescott, who is way different than Tony Romo, but still being able to put an offense together that was successful for that quarterback and succeeded all the way to where they played in the divisional round playoffs against Green Bay and barely lost in a shootout where Dak Prescott actually played extremely well as a rookie. So I look at those type of things, I'm like, man, you, you know, two, Russell Wilson was much different than Matt Flynn. Dak Prescott much different than Tony Romo, but they still were able to put together, you know, offenses like, and there wasn't, it wasn't like gimmicky offenses, but just things to where we know this guy can do this well and, and execute this at a high level. And they did that. And, you know, both, it worked out very well for both of those guys. Yeah. And, and two big points on those guys is both of them were able to, uh, you know, they didn't put in a gimmicky offense either. You know, maybe they pared things down or whatever, but these rookies came in ready to play and operate from the pocket and, and be passers. And yep. and had obviously ability to do other things and then things expanded from there for both of those guys. But they both played a ton of college football. Uh, yes. Dak Prescott was a three year starter, four year college career. You know, he was a senior, which you almost never see anymore. And then um, I think Russell Wilson, I mean, he played professional baseball. He was drafted. He, he played at two different colleges. Yeah, too. he was at Wisconsin NC, and North Carolina State. I believe, yeah, he right? was at NC State, then transferred. So he was like a fifth. He was in college for like five plus years. Maybe he was a grown man and he was ripped. I remember there was a lot of people who were trying to compare Johnny Manziel to Russell Wilson coming out of college. And I was like, dude, Johnny Manziel's like a, a kid. Like, you know, he's, he's got a lot to learn. <laughs> he's young and he's skinny 
And, you know, because he was small and it was like, oh, well, here's another small quarterback that was a dual threat and Russell Wilson. It was like Russell Wilson was a grown ass man when he came out of college. He was ready to go. He was an adult. And so that's sort of the the one thing that really makes me want to pause when it comes to Trey Lance is like this dude played one year, one double A ball. He, he just turned 21 years old. He's young. Some of the other quarterbacks that came in and played early in their careers, almost all of them were like seniors in college and in their mid 20s by the time they were, you know, uh, rookies in the NFL. And that, that's going to be the challenge for them to get Trey Lance mm-hmm. ready. But it sounds like as far as so long, so far with what they've given him, he's been able to kind of be uh, he's execute to some extent. Yeah, he's like he's and, keeping his head above water, which is big. I mean, that that can't be easy either. So that's that's good. No. He's come in and it looks like he's attacking things as a pro. And, you know, he's he's passing the first level of the video game, essentially. Yeah. And I think the most important thing with that and which McDaniel said as well is his just ability to t- kind of take constructive criticism and, you know, apply, you know, whatever it is that they're talking about and like kind of really yearn for that was, was a big reason why I liked him pre-draft. But I think that could be a- another reason why maybe he can be the exception. That's what we have to hope for. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah. his ability to kind of take on that mindset instead of being the guy that's, hey, I played one year. I did this. I was FCS player of the year and won the national title. I'm this guy. I'm big, strong. I'm better than Garoppolo. I got more ability than come in, not to be as open to constructive criticism. And then all of a sudden, all the things that he's really good at get exposed because he doesn't work on the things where he's not great at. And then that's when I think you see guys that don't play as well. So Yeah, coachable smart, maybe a little wise beyond his years, and that'll absolutely help him out in his transition to the NFL. One quick note, we're almost out of time here. We're past time, actually. But uh, the last thing I wanted to bring up about Mike McDaniel's press conference, what he was talking about, uh, Muhammad Sanu. And he said Muhammad Sanu came in in great shape and serves as a good role model for the young guys. But he also said that he was you know, just trying to earn his spot on this team. And if he comes back, if he comes back to camp in that shape, it's quote tough to beat. He's tough to beat out for the final 53. And it's like, I came uh, and he was again, like sort of like the Justin school thing with Debo and Iuke out. He's running with the starters. He's running with the ones there along with, uh, I think it was Juwan Jennings, right? It was Juwan Jennings and Muhammad Sanu. Maybe that were running with the ones with, with so many guys out. Richie James was out and Hurd was out as well. Basically it was like, the best Muhammad Sanu could do is to come back in really good shape and maybe make the final 53. Like he wasn't even talking about being wide receiver three and being a prominent member of the team and the offense. He was like, if he does all these things and everything goes great, maybe he can, you know, he's going to be tough to beat out for the final 53. I thought that was interesting. He, he basically placed Muhammad Sanu as, as, you know, player number 52 and a half on the roster. That's, that's the vibe I got from it. And that's what you're going to run into when you're a veteran. And if you're on the roster week one, you know, after training camp, like, you know, your your contract for that year is guaranteed. And, you know, you have to kind of jump through some other hurdles to really kind of solidify yourself as a guy that's going to be on that 53-man roster. He Just because of his veteran status, he's always going to be on the bubble. That would kind of be in line with how he was treated last year with the 49ers, right? Because he didn't get a ton of run last year being on the roster, and in fact, they were, you know didn't worry about letting him end up with the the Detroit Lions where he finished his season. So, yeah, I don't think you should put too much stock into the stronghold Mohamed Sanu has on the roster, but you can't put any stock into any of those wide receivers hold on the roster at this point. I mean, that is wide open. Wide receiver three through six is going to be fun in training camp. Yep, and that's all you can hope for as a receiver trying to make make a roster, having a legit opportunity, and it sounds like there will be plenty of opportunities for these guys to 
put themselves in position to try to make some plays. And if you do, you can find yourself in that 53 because right now they only got two guys that they really know about, and those guys are hurt right now. And we'll get deeper into those training camp competitions. Wide receiver is going to be one of those episodes. We'll be talking about that swing tackle spot and the depth on the offensive line, which is going to be another good one. We didn't have time, Croc, to get into Shanahan versus McBay. Uh, We'll push that off for tomorrow's episode. We'll talk about Kyle Shanahan versus Sean McVay, who is the better NFL head coach right now, and get into whatever else is going on in the league with the 49ers your mailbag questions as well at BD Peacock on Twitter at Eric underscore Crocker. And we'll talk to you then right here. Locked on 49ers.